welcome to Sunday Sermons with Resurrection Church. This is the weekly preaching and teaching ministry of Resurrection Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. We just want to invite you to join us as we study God's story revealed through the Bible and seek to apply His truth to our modern life. Our hope is that through these teachings, you would experience life with Jesus as you experience life with us. Oh, it is really fun uh, to be here. I have to tell you, the last few weeks, Drew asked me weeks ago uh, if I could do this. And I kept thinking in my head and saying out loud, yeah, I'm going to fill in for Drew. And then last week it hit me, I'm going to be preaching at the church where my son's the pastor. And I had a moment. And uh, I'm, I'm mostly over that. <laughs> but I'm really excited just to get to be here with you. I hope you'll keep your Bibles out or your apps out, whatever. Uh, and be ready as we uh, keep looking at this passage uh, from the Gospel of John. We are continuing the series that you've been in for a while, Life with Jesus, and I'm excited to be a a part of that. I don't know how many of you have seen this. It's it's gone around a couple different times, a couple different variations of this comparison between uh, how we got hurt as kids and how we hurt ourselves today as adults. You know, and this, this comparison chart is just way too spot on for me. And I thought it was funny the first time I read it, and then it sunk in, and I was a little bit offended. Um, as a kid, hurt myself because I fell off my bike. Or I fell out of a tree. Or I twisted my ankle playing dodgeball. As an adult, I slept wrong. <laughs> or I sat in one spot for too long. This, this one, I sneezed too hard <laughs> throughout my neck. It's not good. You know, as humorous as that may be, there, there are uh, some pains, some troubles, worries and struggles that come our way that just aren't so funny. We all experience troubling times in our lives now and then, don't we? We all go through storms at, at some point. We all experience a troubled heart in one way or another at one time or another. Now I hope it goes without saying for most of us that the Christian life is not without trouble. There will be times when your heart is troubled, times when you struggle, times when you doubt, times when you're hurting, times when your affections are drawn away from God. And there may even be times when you stumble and fall. Now, some folks would like to tell you just the opposite. That life with Jesus means you won't have any trouble. That you won't experience struggle or pain or loss or grief. But that just doesn't bear up with our experiences, does it? And it doesn't bear up with the open witness of Scripture either. And troubling times come. So what do you do in in times of trouble? What can we do when we face those times? Before we're done today, I'm confident that you will know an answer to that question. As we continue in John's Gospel, here at the beginning of chapter 14, we can see that the disciples... In this case, just those guys, the twelve that were the closest to Jesus, are troubled. Why? 
Well, Jesus had just told them that he is about to die. On top of that, Jesus told the disciples that one of them would betray him. And that Peter, the rock, would deny him. So Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. You see, Jesus knows that they're experiencing anxiety and he's trying to calm those fears in part because he knows what's coming. The Greek word used for troubled here is connected to a word picture of a boat that's caught in a storm. The Greeks compared the inward turmoil of a troubled heart to our souls being a boat tossed back and forth by waves of fear and frustration and external pressure. So the picture here is one of instability and anxiety. You're being tossed back and forth and up and down and back and forth. No calm in sight. Minds restless and hearts troubled. These past few years have brought uh, plenty of anxiety and trouble to us, haven't they? Back in 2019, remember that, that long ago idyllic time, 2019? Early in 2019, a, a dear friend of ours, the wife of one of the other pastors at uh, Lighthouse Christian Center where I'm on staff, uh, she was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And through so many doctor's appointments, trips to the, the emergency room and hospital stays, seven months later, our dear friend Tammy passed away, leaving her distraught husband to carry on raising their six and nine-year-old boys. A couple weeks after Tammy's funeral, we learned that the founding pastor of Lighthouse, Art Hunt, just one year after his retirement, had been diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. Three months later, Art was gone. A few weeks after that, we had a huge celebration of life for him. It was wonderful. And just a couple weeks of that, after that, the world shut down because of COVID. Troubling times. And I can tell you plenty of troubled hearts at the same time. March of 2020, just a couple of weeks before the COVID shutdown hit us all, my mom, Drew's grandma, was the third person in Seattle diagnosed with COVID-19. We didn't know what it would bring. And the medical folks didn't know really what to do at that point, so they just did everything. We almost lost mom a couple of times. She made us, my siblings and I, she made us promise that we would be nice to each other when she was gone. <laughs> we, we assured her that there was no problem, we actually like each other, and that she did a good job of raising us. Two and a half months later, mom got to go home. From the hospital. We had to, she had to relearn how to you know, use all the remotes and all that stuff for a TV and so on. Just this, this past August, we celebrated her 91st birthday. And this year, she got to see her baby boy become a grandpa. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Drew. <laughs> so troubling times come along with troubled hearts. And yet, 
Even in the midst, there's something more as well. We all have moments, seasons even, that we can honestly call troubled times. So what's troubling you right now in this season of life? Is the state of our world troubling you? Are you troubled by the political landscape of our nation or the war in Ukraine? Are you troubled by inflation and economic pressures, both widespread and in your own home? Are you troubled by the way people, even Christian people, are treating others that just doesn't seem to reflect the heart of Jesus? Maybe your troubles are are more personal today. Is there a relationship that's troubling you? Is there something or someone at work or school that's troubling you? How about your physical health? Or the physical health of a loved one? Is, is that troubling you right now? Is some kind of suffering troubling you today? For this message to be helpful, it needs to be personal. So I want to ask you to, to do some work here. I want you to identify just one thing that's most troubling to you today. It doesn't have to be big. Just something that's troublesome to you. And throughout the rest of our time together, I want to ask you to to hold that in mind as we look at Jesus' words here in John 14. And I'm trusting that God will speak to you through His Word and minister to you in your trouble today, whatever, whatever that is. So how does having a troubled heart affect our lives. Often a troubled heart will bring about anxiety and worry as we try to understand what's happening and why. A troubled heart can bring a sense of hopelessness when we just can't see the way forward or how we could even get there. Troubled hearts bring tension and strife in our relationships because We kind of respond out of that troubled place rather than with the one that we're talking to. Troubled hearts can bring a sense of angst and frustration with ourselves and with our situation that leads us to restlessness. Sometimes emotional instability and confusion. We've actually seen a rise in all of those in the last couple of years. Here's why it's so important to think and talk about these things. A troubled heart that is left unaddressed will lead us to a place of doubt and a place of despair. Doubt because of so much uncertainty about our circumstances and how those will play out. Despair because of uncertainty in the midst of our trouble about God's character or God's plan or God's ability in the midst of our troubling circumstances. So what do we do? What do we do when our hearts are troubled? Jesus says, believe. Let not your hearts be troubled, verse 1 says. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This word believe that Jesus repeats here 
strongly carries the sense of trust. That belief is intrinsically tied in with trust. Believe in God means trust in God. Believe also in me means trust also in me. See, it's not just an an intellectual assent to the concept of God. Sure, I, I believe in God. But it's an active assurance in the character of God. I put my trust in God. That's what belief here means. So Jesus is saying here that if you find yourself with a troubled heart, the most important thing you can do, the very first step to take is to believe, to trust in God. To believe, to trust in Jesus Himself. You see, this trusting belief is the heartbeat of faith. And faith creates the opportunity to experience God moving in your life because you live with a confident expectation that God will move in your life. You ever had that experience of, you know, you've been thinking about something and then you see it everywhere. Like, you're thinking about a new car. And you start spotting it everywhere. You know, it's kind of the opposite of when someone says, do not think of the color yellow. Good luck. Oh, it's the opportunity to experience God moving because you're living with that confident expectation that He will. You trust it. You believe it. Jesus knows you'll experience troubled and troubling times in your life. He knows that in those times, you may struggle. And He knows it firsthand. Experientially. See, Jesus was no stranger to a a troubled heart. When Jesus saw the sick, he was troubled over their affliction. When Jesus saw the temple so neglected that the Gentiles couldn't worship properly, he was troubled by that. When Jesus saw death take the life of his friend Lazarus, he was deeply troubled, Scripture says. When Jesus anticipated the betrayal of Judas at the Last Supper, he was greatly troubled. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death, he was greatly troubled. And when Jesus went to the cross to die for the sins of the world, to die for the sins of you and me, he was troubled in spirit. But also, remember this. Because Jesus was troubled over the sick, he healed many. Because Jesus was troubled over the worship of people, he reestablished right worship, worship in spirit and in truth. Because Jesus was troubled over the brokenness of the world and the devastation wrought by sin, he willingly went to the cross to bring forgiveness, salvation, and restoration, not just to us, but to all of creation. And because Jesus knew that we would have troubling times, He provided a way through them. A way filled with hope and with His very presence. So Jesus comforts us. He is saying, in effect, when your heart is overcome with doubt and discouragement and despair and all sorts of trouble, what you need to rely on 
is your faith. Now, he's not saying you need more faith. But lean into the faith you have. It's my gift to you. And it's enough. It's a call to trust Jesus with your life, even when the things of your life are troubling. So why should we trust Jesus to calm our troubled hearts? Why should you believe that he could give you an untroubled heart in troubling times? Well, right here in John 14, he gives us a couple of great reasons that we can and should trust him to do just that. In verses 2 through 4, we learn that Jesus, with Jesus, your future is secure. Look what he says here. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Jesus is explaining to the disciples what he is going to do when he leaves them. When he leaves not only them, but when he leaves earth. He's not leaving them just to leave them, but rather he has a plan and a purpose in what he's about to do. Later in this chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus promises his disciples that although he is going away, he is not going to leave them as orphans. He is not abandoning them. The Holy Spirit will come to be with them, to teach them, to empower them, to comfort and guide them, and Jesus will continue working for their good and for our good. How? Well, he says he's going away to prepare a place for us. And he talks about my father's house. I love this passage. It's so great on a couple of levels. This part of our passage always reminds me of one of the truths of the gospel, frankly, that makes some guys squirm, which is part of why I like it. I love talking about this at men's breakfasts, men's Bible studies, men's retreats, because after the guys get over their squirming, they get to have a bigger view of their place in Christ, a broader understanding of what it means to be part of the church. See, I love reminding guys that biblically speaking, one of the titles that they share as disciples of Jesus is the bride of Christ. You usually see guys doing this. You start talking about that. It's true, and it's a beautiful reality for the life in Christ that we all share, women and men. The reason this passage reminds me of that truth is that in its basic form and its basic message, what Jesus is sharing here with his 12 closest disciples is a fairly traditional Jewish marriage proposal. This is how the guys would do it. A young, betrothed Jewish man would say to his beloved intended when the time was right, there's plenty of room over at my dad's place. I'm going to go away for a while and get things ready for us. When it's done, I'll come back and get you, take you to myself, and we will be together there. Here's the thing. Jesus is promising to secure your future with these words. 
When he speaks of his father's house, he is speaking of that place where we will live in God's presence for eternity. You're probably thinking of heaven as you hear those words. But for many of us, what he is actually pointing toward is a much richer, deeper, more understandable thing than we traditionally picture. If you're thinking heaven and you're thinking of clouds and golden streets and pearly gates and angels floating around playing harps, let's remember that the New Testament's portrayal of where Jesus is preparing to take us is so much better. And if you limit your imagination to a, a little house, or even as some of the older translations would say, a mansion, you're still not thinking big enough. When I was in, in seminary down in Fort Worth, Texas, I served as a youth pastor in a small town, a small church in a small town outside of the city. And we had two hymnals in that church. Hymnal, explain hymnals to the younger kids. Um, one was the, the Methodist hymnal, and one was called the Heavenly Highways hymnal. And that second hymnal was a kick. It had some great old gospel revival hymns in it. But some of them were pretty corny. Uh, One of them was, Life is like a mountain railroad with an engineer who's brave. We must make the road successful from the cradle to the grave. They loved it. I giggled every time. Each week we would sing two songs from that Heavenly Highways hymnal. And occasionally Joe, our lead pastor, would simply pick hymn numbers instead of hymns. Now think about that. He would randomly just pick two numbers without checking to see what the songs were. So, one Sunday, he had us sing, I don't care for fine mansions on earth's sinking sand. Lord, build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. And that was followed immediately by us singing, I've got a mansion up over the hilltop. (laughs) I had to stare holes in the youth group because they were falling apart laughing. The book of Revelation pictures Jesus' father's house as the new Jerusalem. A tangible place on the new earth in the new heaven that he promises to create for his people. A perfect city where God himself will live and dwell with his disciples in perfect fellowship for all eternity. Jesus leaving is for a purpose, and it's for our benefit. In verse 3, look again, he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What does this mean? It means that one day Jesus is going to return to earth, and when he does, he's going to set right everything that has gone wrong. He will renew creation, all of it, including humanity. When he returns, the Bible tells us, Jesus will give all of his disciples, living and dead, new, glorified, resurrected bodies, so that we can live with him physically forever. He will establish a new heavens and a new earth, then the new Jerusalem, where we will live with God face to face for all eternity. Here's the point. Jesus will take care of his people. 
He doesn't abandon us. He never has, and He never will. He's gone to prepare things for us. He's gone to prepare things for you. This is so important to grasp because knowing your future, a future that rests not on your efforts, but on God's grace and character, gives security. It's like the difference between hoping to win the lottery and receiving an inheritance. With the lottery, you're never guaranteed success. You never know if you're going to win no matter how hard you wish for it or how many tickets you buy. With the lottery, you may have all sorts of dreams about what would happen and what you would do if you won it. But you can't live in a way to make any of that a reality. An inheritance is much different. It's not a hope or a dream. It's an assurance. You know it's going to happen. You've been told. And it's rooted not in anything you do, but in the love your parents or whoever it is has for you. They worked hard to provide for you in the moment and to secure that provision for the future. The security that comes from knowing there is an inheritance waiting for you is vastly different than the wishful thinking of a future based on a winning lottery ticket. Jesus is pointing his disciples to the inheritance that they have in him through their faith. Following him is secure, and it secures our future. He's been working with, for his disciples during his years of ministry among them. He will work for them in his suffering, in his death, and in his resurrection. And he will work for them after his ascension preparing a place for them. He's building their future for them, and that helps calm their hearts. And all of that is true for you and me today as well. well what else can, uh, why else can we trust Jesus with our troubles? Not only is our future secure in Jesus, but with Jesus, our path is secure as well. Verses 5 through 6. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas said that. I love Thomas. He gets a bad rap as the doubter, but man, he speaks for us so many times. How do you know? We don't, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? It, it shows us that when our hearts are troubled, it can cause our vision to become distorted. We don't see God clearly in the midst of the trouble. And when our vision of God is distorted, we can stumble in our faith and in our trust. So what do you need when you stumble in your faith? What do I need when I have those moments of stumbling? Well, we need to remember who Jesus is. Jesus says it here. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the way. He's not a kind of a way or one way among many ways. No, he's 
the way. As the God-man, Jesus is the one and only mediator between God and humankind. And if you want to have a relationship with God, then you must have Jesus. Because there's no other way to God except through faith in Jesus. It's through receiving Him, through believing in His name, that we gain the right to become children of God, John 1.12 tells us. Jesus is the truth, He says. He's not a kind of truth or one truth among many. He is the truth. And truth is not relative. It's, it's absolute. Truth is that which conforms with reality. As the truth, Jesus is the reality of God incarnate. He is God in the flesh who dwelt among us. The only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, as John 1.14 says. So if you want to know the truth of God, you must have faith in Jesus because He is the one true living God. And Jesus says that He is the life. He's not a, some kind of life. He is the life. To be more specific, in his own words, he is the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in him will have resurrection life now and eternal life in the future. So if you want to live life to the fullest, if you want to experience the abundant life of God, then you must have Jesus. Because there's no other way to have the life of God except through faith in Jesus and a relationship with Him. Because in Him was life, John 1.4 says. Now some people will tell you there are many ways to God, many variations of the truth, that you can have an abundant life without Jesus. As a matter of fact, some people have made pretty big fortunes on teaching those things. But I want to... I want you to hear this today. Their words are lies. They're not truth. Their words bring death, not life. Their words are not the way to the Father because no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Church, there's there's only one way, one truth, one life. And His name is Jesus. That means that the Gospel of Jesus is both inclusive and exclusive. The gospel is inclusive because all people, regardless of their background, their race, their gender, their ethnicity, their sexual inclination, their addictions, their strengths, or their past sins, are invited to salvation in Jesus Christ. The gospel is inclusive because everyone who repents of sin and believes in Jesus will be forgiven of their sins, reconciled to the Father, and adopted into God's family. The gospel is inclusive because Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross was sufficient to redeem all people. And the gospel is totally exclusive because Jesus is the only God and Savior. For there is salvation in no one else by which we can or must be saved. The gospel is exclusive because only those who believe in, who trust Jesus for salvation, Enjoy the benefits of his life, death, and resurrection. So how is this helpful to someone with a a troubled heart? Knowing who Jesus is 
and, the, and what he has already, that he's already done all that's needed for your salvation and redemption and new life gives hope when you're hurting. When we're in the midst of troubling times and are bearing the weight of a troubled heart, the thought of doing much of anything can be overwhelming. We feel unsure, off balance, wobbly. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've enjoyed at the beginning of the service when, when all of the kids were in here, even the, the, the little kind of wobbly ones. Right? Have you enjoyed, ever had the chance to enjoy watching a little one learning, the, taking the first little bit of learning to walk? It, it's a comedy show all by itself. It's so much fun. What do they do? They, they go from a crawl to, to pulling up. And after a time, they, they let go and try to stand on their own, unsupported. They wobble back and forth. And sometimes they do that quick, straight down on the diaper drop. I'd need help getting back up after that. But they get back up, sometimes with our help, and, and they try again. And eventually they, they start those tentative, still very wobbly first steps. They fall a lot. But they get back up and try again until over time, with, with many minutes or even hours of holding on to our hands, they begin to walk on their own. And as they grow, they learn to run. And in what seems like no time, they're walking and running without us. They may still stumble and fall from time to time, but they can walk and they can run. Our lives as followers of Jesus are a lot like that. At first, we, we wobble in our, in our faith, a little unsteady, a bit unsure. Sometimes we even stumble and fall. But in time, by God's grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we're able to walk in faith, believing in Jesus, trusting Jesus to guide our steps, even in troubling times. Friends, today, if... If your heart is troubled, that's simply proof. It's simply a reminder that you need the peace that Jesus brings. When you stumble and fall, Jesus will pick you back up. When your heart is troubled, you need someone who is greater than you and greater than your trouble to calm you again, to help you face troubling times with an untroubled heart. So Jesus is the living God who who died for your sin, who rose for your redemption, and who reigns in heaven to live forevermore. He has gone to prepare a place for you to be with Him, and He will take you there. There's no one greater than Jesus. No one better to calm your troubled heart. He does that not necessarily by taking the trouble away, although He might. Usually the way He calms a troubled heart is by being a strong, secure, stable foundation for you to walk on, even during the trouble. Don't let your hearts be troubled, he said. You trust in God. Trust also in me. had a couple classmates back in seminary who got in discussion, a little bit of a debate, actually, in one of our classes. A great class. Uh, our professor was a guy named Daryl Tremue. The class was Black Religious Experience in America. It's a great class. Now, one of the students was trying to describe the theology, the reasoning, and the hope of our black brothers and sisters in Christ. 
It's probably important to know that he was not a black man himself trying to describe this. He had no experience in what he was trying to describe. He kept on speaking of their faith, experience, and hope as being something for when this life is over. That all of that was just to get them through this with hope for there. That here the faith just helps them get through it and only finds power on the other side of the grave. The other student, who was a black man, finally responded. He said, no, 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 no. We are not hoping for some pie in the sky in the sweet by and by when we die. We're looking for something sound on the ground while we're still around. <laughs> yes, I took notes. <laughs> and he said, he found that in Jesus. Troubling times. They will come. And when they do, Jesus is there, actively working to give you an untroubled heart, a heart strengthened by faith, girded with hope, and established in his faithful promise that he's going to prepare a place for you. And then he'll come back and take you to be with him. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're thankful that even in the midst of trouble and struggle, of confusion and fear, you take care of us. You secure our future and you make our way sure. Give hope to troubled hearts today, Lord. Give grace in our wobbly attempts to follow you and strengthen our faith as we trust in you. It's all these things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, congrats. You made it through the whole sermon. We just want to say thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons with Resurrection Church. Again, this is the weekly preaching and teaching ministry of Resurrection Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. If you want to connect with us, you can do that by going to our website at resurrectionchurch.com. There you will find all the ways to worship with us, and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter, connect with us through a group or event, find a place to serve, and give financially. We're so thankful for each and every one of you, and our hope is that you will continue to live life with Jesus this week.